Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theatres, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This is a Lip Media podcast. You're listening to All the Shit I've Learned Abroad. I'm Andrea Gillis. And I'm Step Page. We're two Canadian expats now living in Australia and the UK. Between the two of us, we've been through the ringer in our travels, experiencing missed flights, volcanic eruptions, and even a terrorist attack. It's not all that extreme, though. We've also experienced heartwarming, life-changing moments and met amazing people along the way. So kick back and listen to All the Shit I've Learned Abroad. Welcome to another episode of All the Shit I've Learned Abroad. I'm Andrea. And obsessed. Yes, Steph. How's lockdown? Oh, it is lifting. The end is in sight. Oh. We are doing well. And I am getting so hyped for all the things I'm going to do. Yes. Well, it's the opposite here. We're about to go into lockdown. So, I mean, we are literally living on opposite ends of the world <laughs> when it comes to seasons, <laughs> when it comes to lockdown. Um, but hey, so you're going to be able to travel again soon. And this is a this is a great lead up into it. We did a great interview this week with someone that yes. is out there and doing really cool shit on their travels yeah so we spoke to mike Corey of fearless and far and i have to say that i could have talked to him for hours mm. i had so many things i wanted to ask him about and he's giving me so much inspiration yeah so as you'll hear in the interview mike runs a youtube channel called fearless and far also he's host of bbc's travel show and some of the stuff he does in these videos i mean we, we talk about a few of these in the interview we won't spoil it for you but I don't know if I could do it, but it's giving me that sort of inspiration and drive to try new things once we can travel again. And Steph, I, I think you feel the same way. Yes. Um, well, let's just get straight into the interview then. And you can hear more about Mike Corey. a very exciting episode for you. This week, we're joined by Mike Corey, host of BBC's The Travel Show and star of YouTube channel Fearless and Far. In his YouTube videos, Mike is breaking the mold and experiencing things many would consider scary or abnormal in an effort to inspire people to chase their fears to ultimately become better versions of themselves. So from being buried in sand for 24 hours to crossing the world's most dangerous bridges on foot, to also eating cheese covered in spiders, which we're going to talk about that because I need to know more about this. Mike is here to talk to us about why we should do things that frighten us and some of his scariest but most memorable travel experiences. So welcome, Mike. Thank you so much for being on the on the podcast with us. 
No, it's great to be here. So just starting off, uh, can you just give us a bit of background on you, your traveling experience and, you know, where and when did you first travel somewhere? What inspired you to essentially travel for a living? Yeah, well, as you can, as everyone just heard of, my travel style is a little bit different. I, <laughs> mm. She's covered in spiders. That was actually just a few weeks ago. Um, but <laughs> it, all, it all stems around the fact that I was a curious kid, uh, a curious kid that didn't really find this place until uh, later in life, I guess. Mm. And so the travel style that I have now is finding the weird and wonderful things around the world, but also challenging myself and challenging my fears. So the alias of, of, of well, my online alias is fearless and far. And what I'd like to say is that I'm not fearless. I just really, really enjoy fighting them and encouraging people to do the same because my story, I was, I'm a recovering scaredy cat basically. And then through okay. making myself uncomfortable, by eating things like cheese covered in spiders. <laughs> uh, I've been able to find myself and find my path and, uh, you know, and, and, and figure everything out, figure the big picture out. And so that's, that's what I recommend now uh, as, as a travel style and also what I try to demonstrate most times. And I know, you know, Steph and I, something we always talk about on this podcast is when it comes to traveling and facing your fears and doing things that would be considered, you know, out of the norm or something that makes you uncomfortable, it actually makes us a lot more accepting of one another, you know, in the world, accept, uh, accepting different cultures, experiences. So we're really excited to hear some of, you know, some of your stories. Uh, and, you know, we'll go straight into it. We've watched some of these videos and I, I thought I was fearless, but I don't know if I could do some of these, some of these things that you've done. And I think the first one we want to talk about the buried in sand for 24 hours. When I heard that, I, <laughs> I had like a panic attack. Then we watched the video and we're like, okay, it, it sort of, yeah, I'm like, okay, I, I kind of get it now. But tell us, tell us about that video and uh how you came about that yeah well wow again going on this line of of challenging yourself so i i sometimes i get i mean i open the video saying sometimes i get crazy ideas in my head and i just can't get mm. them out and and that seems to be it and the, the reoccurring theme in my life is whenever i've been confronted with something and uh, for example going back quite a while it's my first big trip i think this story kind of encapsulates how i approach these challenges mm -hmm is I at my first big trip, I had hit a point in my life where there was uh, just a, a giant cluster of terrible things all collapsing on me in one month. There was a really bad breakup, as we all have. There was uh, mm. the death in the family. That was quite a big deal. And there was my first car crash, all within like three weeks of each other. And each mm. one of those things puts people on, on the edge. But this, you know, life is life. And those three things came together at once. So I was ripe for some change. Right. And so what happened then was I had a friend and we, we both were going through a hard time. We were both like, yeah, man, let's go to the other side of the planet, screw it all and, and, uh, and you know, change our lives or, or just see what was there. Mm -hmm. And we fundraised, we fundraised, we fundraised. And eventually the day came to, to go on this big trip. It was with this group called Operation Wallacea that pairs up uh, science graduates because I have a biology degree with these uh, people around the world to help volunteer. And so we'd save the money. The day came to pay the deposit and I, I pay my deposit like 5,000 bucks. I go to the pub and I wait for him. We're supposed to meet each other and I get a text and it's like, uh, sorry, bro. Can't make it after all. And you have to go by yourself. And my world oh. just exploded. You know, like I couldn't fathom traveling to the other side of the world. It was Indonesia by myself. Right. 
And the day came and I boarded the plane and I, in my head, it was the final goodbye to my family. And I went and I had the best time of my entire life and it changed my life forever. But why I got on that plane was because I sat down there and I thought about it rationally. In my head, I was terrified because I didn't know the language, didn't know where I was going, didn't know the people, all these things. People were saying, you know, solo travel is dangerous. But then I, I, kind of, I thought about it logically and it's like, if it was really dangerous, would people do it all the time? I knew people were doing it all the time. And this was a very reputable organization. You know, they've been sending people across the world for a long time. If people actually like got hurt, it wouldn't really exist. And so I guess I went for it. And going forward, that's kind of how I approach these these challenges. Is is it going to really permanently hurt me uh, in case of the sand? Probably not. Is there a chance I could be a better person out of it? Well, maybe. Like... It's interesting, the idea of, of being able to master this, this thing, this monkey mind we have. And, and just kind of asking these questions, like, am I seriously going to hurt myself forever? Uh, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? I'll get uncomfortable and I have to unbury myself. You know what I mean? And so mm -hmm. I find these challenges uh, through, through travel, and they could be cultural, like going to exploding hammer festivals in Mexico, or in this case, burying myself in sand for 24 hours, to test to see if I can do it. Knowing that, I've thought about it enough to make sure I'm not going to actually hurt, physically hurt myself, right? right? You can always unbury yourself. I had a phone tucked away and I could probably fish my arm out after 10 minutes and call someone if I needed to. But the whole point was to, was to challenge myself to see if I can do it. Because I think if you put yourself through these uncomfortable situations and you can, and you can become comfortable with the uncomfortable, then not much mm. can hold you back in life. You become yeah. pretty bulletproof. A, a lot of things in life is just more perseverance, right? So Right. And you mentioned even just traveling solo for the first time, which, I mean, talking about that to, you know, the extremes of what you're doing now, being buried alive and eating cheese uh, with spiders on it. But for someone <laughs> taking, their, taking their first trip by themselves, that is can be such a terrifying experience. And Steph and I, we've talked about this before. We've got a whole episode about solo travel. And, you know, I remember the first time I took a solo trip and just how independent and just really like fulfilled I felt um, coming back from that and, and almost feeling a bit fearless. It just sort of opened up a lot of doors uh, in terms of what can I do? What's the next step? You know, where can I go? Uh, you know, traveling on my own again. And, and it seems like the stuff you're really doing is it's, I feel like you're really trying to push your own boundaries with all these challenges that you're doing. And what would you say is out of everything you've done, the, 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 maybe, maybe talk about the first really terrifying experience that you had. Yeah. Well, exactly. Like you said, um, you come back and you feel different and you feel, mm -hmm you feel like you've grown and that, that I've done lots of wild stuff on, on the channel. And before I, I had the YouTube channel, but again, that first trip to Indonesia, we went there, there was no running water. There was no mirrors. There was just a hole in the ground for a toilet. If you wanted to have a shower, you stuck a, a plastic bucket into like a mosquito mm -hmm. larva filled <laughs> concrete hole in oh, the ground God. and then dumped it on your head. And it was always right. freezing cold. And that's how you, we lived for like two or three months. And even that in itself going from, I'm Canadian. So coming from, I mean, anywhere in the Western world where, you know, it's pretty comfortable most mm. days uh, to the fact that you, you know, you can't even see yourself in the mirror. And the most profound thing was getting there. And there was a, a handful of us from places around the world and everyone had their, you know, their hair gelled or cut and, you know, mm. nice fingernails or nice clothing and smelt nice. And then after you're, you're spending two months on a, on a desert Island, uh, that all goes away. 
and the the, yeah. the kids that were that looked the coolest day one uh, were not really. Uh, they they <laughs> had put a lot of work into their ex- external image, and the people who had put a lot of work into their internal self uh, were like you know the most fun. They could play ukulele. They you know knew a couple mm-hmm. magic tricks, and it just kind of showed I think all of us what the most important thing was in life. Again, but being at that point, uncomfortable, but then becoming comfortable with the fact that we didn't have all these, which are really you know luxuries like hot water and all this kind of stuff. Um, some people, there's I'm sure a, a billion people on this planet who who don't have the same luxuries like like that. You know, like don't have running water or like you know don't have a nice proper toilet and things like that. So, for me, um, that was the very first one. I mean, since then, we, uh, but th- from there, I guess I grew so much. I kept on trying to find more experiences like that. So going to countries like Bangladesh or uh, just before the pandemic I was in uh, on the island of Socotra off of Yemen and mm-hmm. there there's no tourist infrastructure they've got trees that are called dragon blood trees because they bleed red sap and just trying to find you know the final frontier and they're trying to immerse myself in the culture and and just become right. a bit more bulletproof in life you know and again a little more I like to use the word fearless but yeah I, I'm still I still feel fear <laughs> for sure right I just uh, you know smile and bear it and also not not I'm not reckless, you know, like there's a difference between scary and dangerous, right? Some things are both like base jumping. Um, but at the end of the day, it's like, is something going to kill you? No. But if it's scary, then you can, you can, Oh my God, if you just jump into that, use that as true North on your compass and go into these things that make you deeply uncomfortable, even though you know, you're going to be fine. Uh, you grow exponentially. And yeah, that, that's mm. what I love to do. Steph, I know you, there was a video Steph wants to talk about where you're being, injected with frog poison i didn't see this one myself but you talk about things that aren't gonna kill you or or (laughs) this one though jumps out at me thinking "Mm, i don't know if i'd want to try that but (laughs) i have so many questions let's hear the first one (laughs) how did you manage to hold it together enough to continue filming because your friend was there puking His face was blowing up. Like, how did you hold it together? Yeah, well, let, let's let's frame it up a little bit first. I wasn't just <laughs> running around and putting frog poison in my in my in my skin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, I again on on the quest for the truly authentic experience, wanted to try some of these Amazonian traditional medicines. You know, the ones that mm. that you hear about in the stories. Ayahuasca is one that it is becoming very common these days this uh this root that you mix with other plants that releases dmt and you can apparently see god whatever your definition of god is right and so there's a lots of these it's not there's not just ayahuasca there's a lot of these different plants um, and animals that that can give you certain powers or heal you in certain ways or, or help you and so we went down to the amazon rainforest a friend of mine and myself to see if we can find that. But here's the first problem with these authentic experiences. How do you find them? Do you type in mm. authentic Amazon shaman into Google? No, of course not, because the guy's <laughs> not going to have a freaking web page. You know what I mean? Right. And so you have to, you have to kind of get a bit creative. And so we were down there in this small little town called Leticia, which is the very southern point of Colombia, where it connects with um, the Amazon rainforest. Sorry. Yeah, the Amazon rainforest. But uh, Peru and Brazil. So there's a little triangle that the Amazon River goes through these three countries, and that's Leticia, basically in the southern point of Colombia. This city has no roads to it. You have to fly through the Amazon to get to it, and it's kind of like the the hub for a lot of things down there. So we went down there um, 
and we walked around and just to see if we could, because sometimes in these, in these places that are, aren't, aren't too well trodden, you just have to make contacts and ask questions and have beers with, with dudes and ladies. And, and eventually you'll find something that you're looking for, or maybe something different, but either way, it's still authentic. And so we were down there, we saw a guy with all of these iconic Cambo scars. And so Cambo is the experience that we're speaking about here where, um, what they say is the Amazon warriors and hunters used to, and I guess some probably still do, use this uh, poison from a frog that a, this, this particular frog secretes from its skin. They burn holes in their skin. They rub in this poison and they get violently ill, have a severe allergic reaction for about 15 minutes. And then they can see better, hear better, smell better. Their um, sense, their uh, just their senses are augmented, and also it boosts their immune system. And so, before war, before a big hunt, these Amazon warriors and hunters would would rub this venom into their into their skin, and then apparently be able to do their job more efficiently. Like like adrenaline and, kicks in almost. Yeah, but exactly, and of course, there's been no scientific studies with like you know double right. blind placebo kind of tests or anything. <laughs> um, but it was, it's a cool story. And uh, we were down there looking for that. So we were walking in this market and there was a guy selling bracelets who had uh, like eight, eight of these scars. So it looks almost like a vampire bite. Two, two circular scars side by side. And he had like six or seven uh, sets of these. And uh, we're like, he knows. At least if, if, if he doesn't know anybody, he at least knows where to go. You know, he, this guy mm-hmm. has done it. He, he can lead us to somewhere. He can lead us himself to a place. And we start talking to this guy, and and he's um he's cool. He's a little sketchy, and he's like, yeah, you know what? Like, I know I know a shaman. Uh, I go there often. He's very far off the path, and I can take you there if you want to go. And we're like, okay, okay, you know, kind of, <laughs> kind of more trying to read read this guy. So he's going to take us out <laughs> in the Amazon rainforest, and then just you know drug us and take our money. Right. And he seemed like. 60% trustworthy and we had no other options. Our trip was, was getting close to the end. And so what do you do? Right? Like, so it was me and my friend We're both like six foot, like 180 pounds, like decent sized guys. This guy was maybe like five foot eight and like a buck 50. He was much smaller than us. So we're still like, at least we had that going for us. And we're like, okay, no promises. But if we wanted to go in, in the forest, what would we do? And he goes, okay, well, you'd beat me tomorrow at 10 a.m. And, you know, give or take price. If you both bring me about a hundred U.S. dollars, that'll cover the uh, transportation because apparently it was like boat, taxi, boat, uh, tuk-tuk, like all these different. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah. It was like two days a in mission. the <laughs> And exactly. And then get enough food to for us and then also a little offering for the shaman. And then the guy was like, yeah, I, w- I won't take any money for myself. You know, I'll do it for free. And that was like, uh, sketchy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So the next day we, we met him and uh, I did like an old hitchhiking trick, which is like, take a photo with the guy. So if let's say you're hitchhiking and you, you, you feel like you want to just make sure to double check your safety. You take out your phone and you say, oh, I'm going to take a photo of us for my mom. I'm going to send it or my girlfriend and see if they willingly get in the photo hmm. or you know if they reject it because at the end of the day if, if they're going to do anything to you there's now you know a photograph right. you know they don't they don't have to know you're sending it to your friend but you just say you are so there's photographic proof of the person and that great he passed tip. that test which is a great okay. start but also what would someone do if they you know if he did kidnap us <laughs> and go yeah. down to the amazon rainforest and try to find that guy 
Yeah. So the second test was like, we gave him the money. We both gave him the hundred bucks and we're like, let's tell him we're going to go to the bathroom and pick up some things. We'll be 45 minutes and to meet him back here in 45 minutes and we'll go because we'll give him the money beforehand because if he wants to bolt, he can bolt now and not two days into the Amazon rainforest. So we gave him the money. We just literally went around the corner and sat down and grabbed a coffee and just kind of like silently <laughs> thought about <laughs> what we were doing and then came back and he was there and he had a smile okay. on his face and he was ready to go. And so we went and um, we had an incredible time. Like we met this shaman on a hilltop two days into the Amazon rainforest hobbled out, had this massive snake bite on his leg that he was trying to cure with his Amazonian medicine. I don't know if it was working. It didn't really look like it, but um, <laughs> he was a character. <laughs> and uh, so we went out there and uh, with this filming stuff, it's really kind of hard sometimes because you, again, finding the guy's hard enough, but then a lot of these mm. people have, you know, secrets they don't want shared and, uh, or they're just shy. They don't know if, if you're going to try to disprove their magic or, getting cameras into the mix is a bit hard. So you have to slowly mm -hmm. introduce it. And uh, we went there to find combo and that was the experience we were promised, but we ended up doing this thing called rapé, which is this concoction of powders that they grind up. And then they have a uh, forearm bone of an Eagle that birds have hollow bones. And they, mm -hmm. they, they have, you have a friend who then puts this powder into the pipe, sticks it in your nose and then, like blows this powder into your nose like a blowpipe and you just oh, like God. your brain explodes and so they had brought that out and we were it was just it was a strange evening but combo didn't happen and so after doing the strange powder thing there's another video about this rapé substance as well they had a little bit of ayahuasca but it wasn't uh, very potent so it didn't really uh, you know affect our cognition very much and then they started chanting and they chanted for an hour and a half. And it's me and my buddies kind of like twiddling our thumbs, watching these guys chant for an hour and a half. And we're like, I guess we're going to bed. What do we do? So, yeah. <laughs> Awkwardly sitting exactly. in the corner, like what's happening? Don't, we don't know that we don't know the words. Yeah. <laughs> so we strung up some hammocks and went to bed. And then I got a, um, a wake up call at 630. Um, this guy who spoke a little bit of English, our, our guide, um, was mm. pulling my toe and he said, Mike, Cambo. And I was like, now it's like five minutes. So I went from asleep <laughs> to Cambo in five minutes. Oh, wow. And I was now, I haven't been so stressed in my entire life. Uh, first of all, just the experience. And second of all, I thought we, you know, wake up, have a coffee, you know, talk about the day, not yeah. just get blasted at 6 35 right. a.m. Have some time to ease into it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, Priorities wow. first, I guess. <laughs> Um, yeah. So there's us and these little boys, and the, and the little boys were doing it on their stomachs because I guess they had some some gastrointestinal problems. So we had these little naked mm. boys go first who had their stomachs burned with a stick, and then they put the venom in, and the boys would all run away to the lake. And then my friend went, and my guide went, and it was just me. And all the only instruction was, okay, like we'll burn your skin, which I mean, ouch, but if you have a tattoo, it's nothing, mm. nothing comparing to that. Yeah. And then they take this frog venom and the, the frog actually, it's interesting. We didn't get a chance to film it because he did it uh, about a week prior, but they, they kind of tie the frog up by its hand and, and, and legs kind of like a hog tie. And they, they gently scrape its back and they harvest this poison. And it's very important. They don't hurt the frog because it, it creates a bad energy. So then the frog goes free mm -hmm. and then they, they keep this poison for this ritual. And so it, they had, he had a little vial and he was rubbing it in. And um, all I had to do, all I knew is I had to run from there to the lake 
And I didn't know how far it was, didn't see the lake. He just said that direction. And I was the last one to go. And so I had my little GoPro camera and uh, he, he rubs it in and then he's like, go. And I just started jogging on the mud and through the sticks and towards the, the lake. And after about a hundred kilometers, hundred kilometers, oh my God, no, not that far. I was Jesus. like, whoa. hundred. <laughs> <laughs> that in itself, I was like that. If any reason not to do it, running a hundred kilometers, uh, yeah, I'm out. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, inject yourself with frog poison, and then run an ultra marathon. That's what it was. <laughs> uh, no, it was it was about a hundred meters, or probably even even less, maybe okay. like uh, seventy seventy or so. And I, I get closer, and all of a sudden, the, the fringes of my eyes start to like get all vignetted, like tunnel vision, and your head starts pounding, and you can feel your face getting all hot, which is all expected. And I go down and this is my friends, my, my guide, my friend, the, all the kids just laying there, spread eagle, uh, just puking and puking oh and puking. Gosh. And you're supposed to puke and start part of the cleansing process. I jump in the water, start running out. My head is like pounding. And you know that little tickle in your throat when you're about to throw up. And yep. I'm listening to my friends. If you watch the video, you can't, like that, that sound he was making is like the bowels of his soul just leave, leaving his esophagus. Oh. It, like it was a horrible sound. It's even worse that you guys have this on video. Because if I were to ever do something like this, <laughs> I do not want anyone taking a video of me. I mean, I'm bad enough on a night out where I, you know, we don't need that documented, but this sounds <laughs> like... <laughs> so much worse <laughs> exactly and he's in his little like european speedo and i'm <laughs> anyway god bless him because i, I didn't puke I, I don't i don't know why oh. I, maybe i had some kind of tolerance i don't recreationally do this so i don't know why i would have a tolerance to it right um but anyway so he he was there and i, I some for, for the sake of the video um he, he put on quite a show didn't he <laughs> <laughs> and he and he was a trooper um <laughs> oh wow yeah so uh that was it and so going forward after that uh we got bitten by a thousand mosquitoes and everything else was was uh was okay we all ended up okay in the end yeah but as far as like being able to see better hear better all these these promises you do feel something and mm. I, I i it's really hard again without testing before and after you do feel more in tune with everything you feel like you can you can see better and hear better you just feel like you're more aware you feel like you're more part of this experience we're all in together and again but if you jump off um you know do a bungee jump or a skydive mm. or something intense you still kind of feel like really grounded happiness after like yeah. you scratch some deep itch that uh, that just makes you feel more alive and aware right um so they also said there's gonna be three waves of happiness over the next few days and we did feel happy so there was something there and unfortunately i was i was gonna go back this summer to, to bring back like eye tests and make it a bit more scientific and do the whole experience again mm. uh, because one thing i didn't get a chance to do in that video because it was really hard to film because of the throwing up and you know right. all that but also because <laughs> the shaman we, we really had to be careful not to go too far with the filming uh, to make them uncomfortable right so i didn't really get to film much of the why um but i do really love talking about it in situations like this because it was such a crazy experience and we did feel something after and at the same time like we found we, we made ourselves deeply uncomfortable and we're all fine i'm not saying everyone go out and, and try this but statistically i mean there's not that many great statistics like it's not something that 
that there have been reported problems with, mm, yeah. <laughs> you know, and again, if it was so horrible and it, and it killed people on a regular basis, it, it wouldn't be a thing that's been passed down for a, a millennia or more in, in this part of the world. You know what I mean? Of course. And so there's sometimes like we, we do take calculated risks and we did bring like first aid kits and we did have local SIM cards. And so there was some kind of fallback plan, um, but at the end of the day, yeah, there is a bit of risk to it, right? Yeah. And I think, yeah, I mean, what you've just described is uh, quite a big, uh, you know, a big risk, I guess you could say. But, you know, what Steph and I, we mention all the time in our podcast, it's about, uh, you know, trying these new experiences, saying yes more often, you know, like it's very easy to go somewhere yeah. new and just sort of sit back and observe because you're too scared to get involved. But as you said, also just being cautious about it. And even when you mentioned the two little tests that you you did with the guy about hitchhiking and to see if he'd run off with your money just have a plan in place you know just in case but yeah that always yeah always yeah. i did really love in that um because you talked in that episode about how your general rule when you're traveling is to give someone 50 percent up front and then 50 yeah. percent afterwards and then i was howling i you were saying this guy was adamant it had to be 100 percent up front and you were like yeah. Okay. <laughs> like, I was. I love those situations where I'm looking it through. I'm like, all right, we're gonna see where this goes. Yeah. Well, that's it. I've, I've been to places where you get scammed before. You pay all up front, and they don't show up for the the tour, or whatever. And so I was always like, you know, fifty fifty. Mm. And he's like, Im- impossible. And I'm like, all right, sixty forty. He goes, no, impossible. I need all the money first. And we're like, shit. <laughs> <laughs> I guess sometimes you just got to go with it. Um, Speaking of, you just mentioned scams. I mean, what's like the biggest travel scam that you've experienced? Again, we've done a whole episode on scams. And sometimes when you do get involved in, you know, some of these experiences or, you know, it happens. But it sounds like you're pretty cautious. But do you have any stories of, you know, where you've experienced a big travel scam? Yeah, well... The thing about like getting scammed is, I mean, I've, I've been, I've found myself in situations where I was in the midst of getting scammed or I just fallen for something or was able to, you know, recognize and back away. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they only ever happen in places where there's a ton of tourism. Mm-hmm. Like I've never been scammed in these small remote places ever. Mm-hmm. It's always like Paris or Cancun yeah. or, you know, Amsterdam or, or, or Barcelona. Mm-hmm. Um, these big, you know, tour, air quotes, tourist friendly places mm-hmm. where, uh, you know, are, aren't actually that friendly to tourists mm-hmm. at the end of the day. I think actually it's a bit backwards. Uh, some of these countries I've been to, like uh, even like Venezuela, I was in about a year and a half ago in the heat of it all was, I mean, there was definitely things to consider there to stay safe, but like everyone was so friendly, like Bangladesh, so friendly, mm-hmm. all of these, all of these places. Um they're just they're just more appreciative of seeing of seeing someone because they're like wow like the whole world thinks my country's shit and you're right. here you know showing the good side and people get oh they just they love it they and you get you know it's 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 overwhelming yeah. i was also in mauritania earlier this year and the country only gets like four thousand tourists a year or something foreign tourists and everyone we had to like compete there was like people were fighting over who was going to take us to tea next. Like mm. there, there was just, it was almost too much. Yeah. So I, I lived in Mexico city for um, three years uh, up until about a year and a half ago. Mm. And I, I love that country. And I think Mexico is a great example of the world uh, because we think we might know it and we think it's dangerous. And 
And there are bad things that happen in the world and in Mexico. But the more you dive into it, the more you travel, um, mm -hmm. you realize that, you know, maybe I, I misunderstand or maybe it's, it's misre misrepresented. Mm -hmm. And living in Mexico City and traveling across the country, uh, it's one of the, 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 mo the friendliest, the most interesting uh, countries in the entire world. And everyone thinks they understand it because we have like Mexican food and, you know, Tea, like you know you go to Cancun there's like wet t-shirt competitions and mm. tequila and tacos and burritos and you realize that the like burritos and nachos are not it's, it's yeah, even Mexican it's, a lot of what we think is Mexican is Tex-Mex yeah. it's all the stuff you see on TV it's not authentic totally and, and Mexico and probably Chinese food is, is another culprit of that yeah. but uh, Mexico is really misunderstood again bad things happen there for sure but it's an incredible place. Um, mm -hmm. Also, so I, I traveled around there and I was I was ending this this big like um, big excursion I had again, like living in apartments, but traveling around and I was just visiting some last friends over in Cancun. I didn't spend that much time in there, but it, like there's some places that are aren't overrated. They're appropriately rated. And that part of Mexico where like Cancun, Playa del Carmen, Tulum, like, it's really cool there with the cenotes, the freshwater sinkholes, the beaches, the jungles, mm -hmm. the ruins, like it's very appropriately rated. It's very busy, um, but it's, it is very cool there. Mm -hmm. um, so I was, anyway, getting back to it, I was driving mm -hmm. back from Cancun, um, from Isla Mujeres, which is an island off Cancun to the Cancun airport. And I rented a car and I was driving and it was bumper to bumper traffic. Uh, but it was moving and we we're all moving at like, I don't know, like 30 or 40 miles per hour. And I, um, uh, there's a, a cop that comes in a motorbike and has his lights behind me and he's, at, he's pointing me to pull over. And I'm, I'm in the middle of like congestion, uh, but we're moving. And so I'm like, okay. So I like signal and I, I get pulled off to the side and the cop comes up. And in situations like this, even if I know the language, I pretend I don't know the language. Mm -hmm. Just so because sometimes these complications it happens a lot. If, if, if they don't speak the language and you're in trouble for something, if you, and especially if you don't think it's legit, like yep. the situation, if, if it's, if it's too much of a frustration for them to try to explain what's wrong, a lot of times I just give up. Great <laughs> travel tip. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Even if you understand. Always play the foreign card. <laughs> exactly. 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 So he comes up and he's like, excuse me in Spanish, like, excuse me, you were speeding. And I was like, what, what? He goes, you were speeding. And I was like, oh, but like everybody's speeding. Like, look, everybody, we're all going the same thing. And I thought it was kind of bullshit. And he goes, and he, in Spanish, he's like, well, I know, but um, uh, I had to pull over somebody. So I'm pulling over you. And I was like, mm. okay, fair, but like, come on now. Mm. And so he's like, a ticket. And I'm like, how much the ticket? And he goes, 200 US dollars. Wow. And I was like, this is ridiculous. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't have the money, you know, playing this back and forth game. And he's like, oh, don't worry. Actually, look right right beside us. There's an ATM just conveniently right there. <laughs> and <laughs> so have... I had heard about people getting pulled over. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Have been pulled over just because they're they're foreigners. And then, you know, this whole thing about like, uh, and then he continued with this whole story. Like, oh, you know what? Ah, you're going to the airport, right? Because this is on the, the highway to the airport. And, and, and I'm in a rental car. He's like, ah, mm -hmm. oh, well, you know what? You can go pay at the police station, but the police station closes soon and look at the traffic. It's too bad. So you're going to have to pay me right now. I'm like, oh, how can how convenient is this? You know, ATM <laughs> and oh, I, I can just pay him directly cash. Oh. And at this point, I wasn't sure like if I was in trouble, but I I, I honestly didn't have 200 US dollars on me. Um, mm -hmm. And I told them my bank cards didn't work. And one of them didn't work. One of them did. And I really didn't want to park the car and like go so I wanted to see how far I could push it. 
And so I'm like, oh, listen, I don't have any money. I'm going back to Canada because my bank cards don't work. And if you want, I can get to the airport. Then I can get my, uh, my friend, my Mexican friend to call you and they can pay it. You know, trying to make it really complicated. And he's like, no, I have to write you a ticket then. Mm. And so he comes up and he's got, he has, you know, pen on the paper. And he's like, you can, you know, how, he's like, how much money do you have then? I'm like, I have no money. And he goes, yeah. 100 US dollars. I said, no, I have no money. So he's haggling with you on a, a ticket. <laughs> exactly. But it gets even better. So then I, I'm going to, and I'm like, no money. And it gets to 20. And I'm like, I don't have any money. And then so he, 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 he looks at me and he didn't actually write anything. And he goes, he looks in the back seat. There's my suitcase. And he's like, is there anything in the suitcase you can pay the fine with? like oh, a watch no. or like sneakers and i was like are, at this point at this point i didn't know i didn't know whether or not i was leaning towards i was getting scammed quite quite hard but that was mm-hmm. the point where i almost got offended because i'm like come on man like now now you're telling me you're just you're trying to fuck me over you know what i mean but like <laughs> now i know for sure and so i was like of course i don't have any sneakers or a watch to pay the fine with and he's like well you have to pay the fine with something and so i had like a dollar and change and I just scrounged it up from like underneath the floor mat and in the, the, the cup holder and I just I hand him a dollar and change and he looks at me and he closes the book takes it and leaves and I just thought like oh my god how, <laughs> how crazy is it that I almost paid a speeding ticket with like sneakers it's just, it was just right. it, oh man it was disgusting I, I love that you gave him a dollar in the end I mean that guy must have just been either having a bad day was bored <laughs> wanted to see how much he could get out of you but maybe this is a great lesson when you're traveling carry around a couple of fake rolexes <laughs> you know just hand <laughs> yeah, one of those good, over right? i mean because if, if you're anything like me and steph i definitely don't travel with anything really expensive uh maybe no. a camera but i have nothing worth any value <laughs> so if that had happened to me i'd be like yeah sure go through my bag but you're not going to find much in there yeah exactly i mean that's as you said when steph and i we've talked about scams before and i think the more that you do travel and the more that you come into these experiences then you're better off at recognizing them when they're happening and a you know how to avoid them but b you're just a bit less afraid of them you know like Again, mm-hmm. I've been uh, the many places I've been. I've you know had people try and scam me, and I'm like, dude, I know your game. You're n- this isn't going to work on me. I've seen this before. Mm-hmm. I've seen something similar. Um, so I mean, it just takes yeah, actually getting out there. And unfortunately, maybe sometimes having to go through a scam. I know Steph, you had a uh, quite a big scam in. Um, where were you again? <laughs> in Tanzania, we got scammed by yeah, a safari company. We paid yeah. a deposit and. And they didn't show. We showed showed up in Africa and they're like, I've never heard of you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Lesson learned. Let me add one more thing there, how that can get you in trouble. So I was, I was in Namibia last year and uh, again, like a country that it's an amazing country, but you can run into some little problems here and there. There is some scams Mm -hmm. that that happen. Um, And so we were driving, we're doing a road trip through the country and there's like really interesting Himba uh, tribes there and really good safaris and, and we were driving around doing some of these things <clears throat> we had this uh like toyota helix like a four by four truck and i was driving and um a, a cop pulls us over i think it was a checkpoint so he flagged us over mm. and um he comes over and he goes i'm gonna have to write you a ticket and i'm like why and i knew we were going the speed limit and he goes <laughs> your lights weren't on and i'm like and it was mm. like it was noon it was like 1 p.m 
And he's like, your lights were on, I have to write you a ticket. And so in my head, I was like, I know what this is. This is a scam. And so I like start to like yeah. pump up my chest and like, like, come on, man. Like it's the daytime. What did you, show, show me your badge. Show me your, show me your, you know, your paper. Show me the law exactly. And so we're there and me and my buddy are like trying to get all like huffy puffy with this, with this guy. Mm. Um, and then there was another car that got pulled over right after us. And it was this like, you know, businessman from, from Namibia. And he sees mm. us like kicking him a fuss. He goes, guys, like it's the law because the dust. Yeah. <laughs> so like, if you don't want to go to yes. jail, just, just pay like the $10 and just get on your way because right now you're, you're, yeah. you're going to cause a problem. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. Oh, okay. This is legit. <laughs> yeah. It's funny that you mentioned that. Cause I just came back from Sicily and no. they have the same uh, the same laws there. When you're driving, even during the day, you have to have your headlights on. Yeah, um, which my my friend was driving, and we kept having to tell him, like, "Dude, put the lights on." He's like, oh, "It's light out." We're like, "No, but it's the law here." Yeah. Um, so I guess I guess understand the laws as well where you're going. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah You know, exactly. if you are driving, and um, but yeah, I guess you know if they're if you're getting a, a legit ticket, then pay it. <laughs> Don't <laughs> yeah. kick up a fuss. And maybe double check. You can't, you can't play, uh, can't pay speaking tickets with sneakers. Make sure you, that's, yes. that's actually the law first. <laughs> but I had a pretty strong suspicion that it wasn't the case. Yeah, no, fair enough. Okay. Now I want to talk food. <laughs> so Steph and I've talked about, uh, you know, eating new cuisines before. And we know that trying new foods and local cuisines, I think this is probably one of the things uh, in terms of traveling that a lot of people are most afraid of, which, you know, I think is, it's one of the, as you said, if you eat something, is it going to kill you? Probably not. But most people are afraid of right. trying new foods. Um, and I got to talk yeah. about the spider cheese. I'm sorry. When I watched this, I almost lost my appetite. I was eating my own breakfast while I was watching this video. Tell us about, what's it called? Mil, I can't say it. Milben, Milben costs. Me, Milben cheese. Yeah. That's it. So this was in Germany and it's exactly how I described it. It's cheese basically covered in tiny little spiders. Yeah. 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 Um, And you've had no problem eating it. (laughs) Yeah. I've eaten, I've eaten way worse stuff than that though. (laughs) Okay. Uh, To to kind of put it all in perspective, like um, there was, there's a food in, in the Philippines called Itag which is a smoked mm. pork uh, dish that still has maggots in it and they cook it with the maggots. Oh, so you God. eat the pork and the maggots together. That was a, yeah, that was a rough one. Yeah. Um, oh. Yeah. That was probably, probably the worst one, but th- this one, it, it's a cheese. And so another famous uh, food is called uh, Casu Marsu. That's an Italian cheese mm. that has the worms in it as well. Right. And so, mm. um, but that's become quite famous as one of the most extreme foods in the world. Uh, this Milden queso was a very strange uh, story and it's, it's really hasn't been covered much uh, at all by by anyone, and mm. I came across it on, on some German website that was talking about uh, you know unique foods in the country, mm. and it's got a really interesting story. So um, the, it's actually a cheese covered in, in mites, which are cousins of spiders, but they're the same you know small little eight legged critters mm. that are um, almost microscopic. You can see them with your eyes. Uh, but you have to look very, very closely. And the funny thing is with this cheese is it's been around for hundreds of years since the medieval ages. And how it started, they um, they had this magical flour, like flour you'd cook with. And they put the cheese in the flour and then it would it would like ripen and it would last longer. Mm-hmm. For whatever reason, this magic cheese flour would just make cheese last longer and make it taste better. And so for hundreds of years, there, there's this in this part of Germany, they would keep this um, this cheese in what they called cheese flour until, um, yeah, about 
100 years ago, someone took a microscope, pointed at the flower, and they realized, oh, shit, it's actually not flower. It's it's a billion little mites. That's our flower. Oh, so it wasn't done on purpose. No. It was like accidental spider cheese <laughs> exactly in the in the beginning they didn't wow. know they just thought it was just like you know like like flour you'd bake bread with and this is flour you'd mm. make cheese with and they just knew that you know it would it would be there and you'd have to put some cheese in and it would it would i guess they probably would have to at some point you have to feed the mites anyway at that mm. point they just didn't understand it and there was no there wasn't like a, microscopes around in medieval ages to be able to examine this stuff but then someone pointed a mm. lens downwards and realized that this flower was actually a billion little little mites little spiders little arachnids mm. and so now um it's lost favor <laughs> as you can imagine <laughs> but there's still one lit, little town called Wurzwitz in eastern germany and their claim to fame is this is this milbenkäse and okay. it's this this guy his name's hummus and he lives in this beautiful house um it, it, like old old style like with this like crossed rafters like big wooden beams like white plaster like ivy growing up the side and in his little uh basement he he takes this cheese which is like um there's a very very famous german cheese called quark which is just like mm-hmm. a soft i think it's a soft sh- uh, sheep cheese mm-hmm. and he molds it into these little shapes a lot of them are kind of like turd shaped like a oval like a tic tac yeah and some are cakes and he he puts them in these world war ii ammunition boxes which keep humidity uh really well and in in these boxes, you have this like it looks like dirt, it looks like flour, like a sand. Mm. But oh, again, you have to process it for a little while first. It's just mounds of living creatures that are just like just on the verge of being too small to see. And so you put the cheese in there for I think a few months. You come out and you you cut it and you put it on whatever. And honestly, guys, it's pretty damn good. It's not as good as like a sharp cheddar or like a you know in in eat them or something like a brie yeah, yeah. Like there's there's better cheeses on this planet for sure right. but given like we tried it on the video it tasted good like good enough for us later when they invited us over for for dinner uh we asked mm-hmm. for more because it was it was it was definitely good like definitely definitely good okay i feel like my my love of cheese really trumps my fear <laughs> of spiders in this because i probably still would try it <laughs> Like, as yeah, much as yeah. I don't like spiders, I love cheese so much. So I feel like eating new cuisines, like, this is such an easy way for people to kind of really just get involved in a new culture and experience it. What would you say to people that are, you know, like, Steph, you're a bit of a picky eater. Yeah. Steph, would you try the spider cheese? Um... <sighs> So speak to Steph. What would you tell someone like Steph <laughs> that is too scared to try new foods that might be like a sort of local delicacy? Well, see, I'm I'm very very passionate about it. Let me let me first explain why I don't think I'm crazy, and you guys can correct me okay. or or say, <laughs> or say that I am crazy. Agree with me or disagree with me. But like this is why <laughs> this is why I like to find these things, and, and this is very applicable for Milben Queso, for example. Is that mm. this is what makes the world interesting, right? This is why we travel. Maybe not this specific thing, but like there's a lot of really interesting cracks in this planet that have some strange things and then you go, what the hell is that? And like, yeah. how, how, like, oh my God, I can't believe that exists. And that's mm-hmm. the essence of why we travel. And, and the more, the less attention we pay to these things, the more they go away. This world is changing drastically. And I think our generation is going to be the last generation that can actually go and, and see a lot of these tribes and interesting rituals and festivals and, 
you know, the world's turning into like strip malls and blue jeans and iPhones. And I see, you see it everywhere. Like we were living with shepherds in, in the remote uh, Romanian pastures. That's where I am now in Romania, just three days ago. And we were there with um, this like babushka kind of lady who was like the, mm. the, the matriarch of the family. And we all fell asleep in this giant like wooden shack with like sheepskins and her phone rang. And it was like, it was like Despacito or something, <laughs> you know? Right. <laughs> and, and, and then it makes you realize like they're, everything's changing so quickly. And they were saying that in this part of Romania, they're like the last ones that still actually use haystacks because the rest of the world is now mm-hmm. using like balers to make those big like marshmallow shaped things. Right. And mm-hmm. so now like everything's changing so quickly. And so there's still a few pockets left where these really interesting things happen. And they, they will continue to happen unless people come and show interest because even like, for example, the Maasai, and this is, this is a bit of a debate in Kenya. A lot of these, these like tribes, the Maasai are a good example. You go to these villages and then they take off their blue jeans. They hide their phones. They put on their traditional mm-hmm. dress and they dance around in, you know, um, with those old traditional dances and then tourists leave mm-hmm. and it's a bit like a human zoo. And then they go back to living their normal lives. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So the reality is that's not, an ideal way to do it. But if there was a world where tourists come, they do financially invest in preserving these, these cultures, these dances, these rituals, this clothing, whatever it is, that's mm-hmm. how these things will persist. Otherwise everyone just wants to be like Justin Bieber or Miley Cyrus or whoever, like the, ever, the mm-hmm. whole world is connected. We all watch uh, YouTube videos. We all listen to the same music now for the most part, like, it's crazy. And so mm-hmm. our, our, our standard, what we all go for is almost the same. Now we see these, these idols of, of success, uh, these people, these rappers, these singers, these movie stars, and the entire world doesn't matter if you're in again, Romania or Peru or Canada or America, we all want to be more like that because that's, the, that's, the, mm-hmm. that's what success is shown to us as right. And mm-hmm. so then the world slowly starts changing, it's changing. And so for me going and finding Milben Kesa, trying to make a video, showing people it, I, I feel like that's the essence of travel. Like it, mm-hmm. I, I travel because those things do exist. And that's a very extreme niche, but it's also a very good example. Like if tourists didn't come there, um, and right now it's just a few select German tourists, but if then they, mm-hmm. they wouldn't, it wouldn't happen anymore. Like the kids right. don't want to grow up and do what their grandfather did, whether it be farming or, you know, making traditional clothing or um, making Milben Kesa. Kids don't want that. Kids mm-hmm. want to go to the city. They want to party. They want to, you know, drink and, and have a good yeah. time. Like they like they see on uh, on media. And everyone should be able to, to do that too, I guess. But mm-hmm. there still has to be a reason to keep these these places, these um, these unique things. And tourism can help with that. And the less we pay attention to them, the more they're going to be lost over the generations, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so that that's why I like it. Because I feel like, a lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. We have to we have to focus a bit more on these things, or else the world's just going to be all yeah, like I said, blue jeans and IKEAs. You know, like that's we're all kind of well, it's turning into like a homogenous mixture of just the same thing. Which is again, yeah. it's not a bad thing that people in remote places are getting some of the luxuries we have. Everyone deserves mm. to be as comfortable, and you know, and have all the luxuries of technology and everything else we do. But again, if people do travel to see these things, I feel like that's a really key part of being able to first of all infuse these far remote places with some cash to be able to for them to access these things Mm. but also to keep some of these more genuine well they're going to lose some genuinity for sure some authenticity but at least they'll be around right at least they won't vanish well and i guess it comes back to you know as you said people actually going and experiencing these things whether it's eating cheese with spiders on it or going to you know a maasai village in africa um but i guess there's a lot of people that are they're afraid to get out of their comfort zone and, you know, travel to some of these countries because of the unknown. So how would you, you know, if you're speaking to someone that's never really, you know, I, I know when Steph and I talk about, we're both from Canada as well. And we okay. hadn't really left Canada. I think I was in my twenties. I hadn't really, I kind of went from not traveling at all to moving abroad and then traveling everywhere just in one swoop, just was like, right, I'm just going to bite the bullet and do it. Um, but there's people that are, they do want to stick to places that they're comfortable with and whether it's, you know, more say they're Canadian and they only want to travel to other Western countries. How would you, what would you tell people to try to get them to go to these countries that are completely different where they will experience culture shock? You know, how do people make that first step? Yeah, but I think the world now is, is so, oh my God, like I've been traveling now professionally for about 10 years and Mm -hmm recreational for maybe like another five on top of that so mm-hmm. um i've seen kind of the last traces of like using maps and lonely planet books um and then into what we're doing now and mm-hmm. it, it's so amazing that you can go to mexico city or you can go to bangkok and you can like get a place of airbnb you know order food with uber eats or or an equivalent like you can book tours and all these same sites you would use to book a, a tour or a hotel or a taxi in your same hometown. So the tools are, are mm-hmm. international. And like with Google Maps, you can just, you know, open up Yelp or Google Maps and just see what's around and like, oh, that restaurant looks good. Let's go. It's inc- it's incredibly mm-hmm. easy. And like English is is a is a like a, a language that is so widely spoken. It's like a currency language. You can find people, especially who are let's say under forty who speak English in, in most countries. There's some exceptions, like maybe mm-hmm. like Japan and mainland China and some really right. remote places. But for the most part, like 
English is, is a really good language to know. And just knowing, mm-hmm. being fluent in English, you, you're, you'd be amazed uh, what, what you can get by with. It's also, you know, obviously mm-hmm. pays to learn lo- local language, but some broken English and some hand signals can get you a lot of places in this world. Yeah, and, definitely. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. And so being able to use these tools uh, that, that you're already familiar with, and a lot of it is just like this. I have this thing now, like I talk about fear a lot, right? And so the fear is, of course, always present in our lives. And one thing that I think we're all guilty of is taking advice from people who haven't done what we're trying to do. And that could be like mm-hmm. business advice. It could be travel advice, it could be relationship advice, whatever it is. The world dumps unsolicited advice on you all of the time. And we're expected to heed it and, you know, make decisions based on it. But I always think like, especially in the world of travel, why are we listening to a mechanic tell us how to bake a loaf of bread? Mm-hmm. Like we don't, we're listening to people who've never tried solo travel. They've been, mm-hmm. they, they have fears from watching TV or seeing like a, a movie like Hostel or something. I don't know. Yeah. Um, and so <laughs> yes. they feel fear. And then they're like, they're like gifting, like they're like infecting you with the fear. Like, so they'd never act, you know, they don't know anybody who's had one of these experiences. They just saw it on the news or whatever. And so they're mm-hmm. scared. And so now they're trying to give it to you so you can be scared. And then you can pass it on to somebody else. And it becomes mm-hmm. almost like a virus, right? Like pe- people just, mm-hmm. they pass it along and, and they try to stop people from, from getting out. And it's really easy to get infected yourself where it's like, all you hear is people saying negative things. And I, I think this is my, this is not scientific at all. It's something that I, that I, it's my hypothesis is that mm. we're used to living in like human beings 5,000 years ago, 10,000 years ago, the groups they lived in, or even longer than that, like our, our, our monkey mind is used to evaluating risk based on the size of our tribe. So let's say it's like a thousand or probably even less than, I don't know. And we're used to getting data points of that tribe. So let's say there's a thousand people in our tribe, just for the sake of this story. And let's say one gets bitten by a snake one day, and then one gets bitten by a snake the next week. That's like, you know, those odds aren't that great, but it's applicable to your life. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And let's say, let's say we make it bigger and bigger and beyond that. We still, I think, register those same data points in our head at that level of risk. So for example, you hear about like a a tourist getting killed in, in, I don't know, let's say South Africa uh, or like Mm -hmm. the Mauritania is a good example. And so then all of a sudden your only data point for Mauritania is that that happened even though it's been 10 mm-hmm. years, even though there's like, you know, thousands of people that go every year. And if you did the statistics, it's like actually like negligible. Like, it, you know, you're, you're right. more likely to fall down the stairs and die. But we, mm-hmm. we, we have these fears based on the data points. And you see that with a lot of things in life is that if you only ever hear about bad yeah. things, like with snakes or spiders or sharks, and all of a sudden you're terrified of, of these things. But like the majority of sharks, for example, like, yeah, there, there, there's definitely sharks that are dangerous and that kill people. But there's definitely cats that are dangerous and kill people too. You yeah, know what I mean? Like yeah. t- tigers kill people all the time, but we're not scared of house cats. So then why are we scared of like all sharks? Yeah. Even though m- the majority of sharks are totally harmless. Yeah. Uh, Steph, I feel like you want to chime in on this topic because uh, I know you've talked before about just getting, as you as you said, unsolicited advice about traveling coming from people that have never even stepped foot out of the country that they're from. Um, they're talking to you about, you know, Steph, when you went on your round the world trip, there was a few countries, wasn't there? Yeah. When I was traveling around the world, that's exactly what happened is everyone wants to tell you why you shouldn't go to X, Y, or Z country. And they've Mm. never been there. It's just people. Yeah. It's just people are fear mongering. They read one thing, they get it in their head. 
And those other people I just absolutely ignore. And I think that's as well when I engage with our listeners and we're talking to them online is they have those naysayers in their life. And that's why they're listening to travel podcasts because they need people to tell them to go yeah. do it. That's it, right? That's that's exactly it. And and if you don't surround yourself with those people, then you – I mean, well, if you are surrounded by people who say no, of course you're you're going to be slated, or you're going to you're going to worry yourself. And I mean, everyone's telling you no. I think it's very unnatural if everyone's saying no for us to be like yes. You know, I think it goes it mm. goes against what it means to be human. And some people can do that more naturally, but the most of us, if everyone's saying no, you start to really question why you're saying yes, right? No, that's true. Going going back to why uh, why Steph should try Milben Kesa for a second. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I want her to try this cheese or any sort of I've, yeah. What was the other one filled with maggots? Uh, that was Katsumarsu. or <laughs> that one, or, yeah. or, or, a, or a tag, the one in the Philippines. Yeah. Okay, let's talk spiders. Let's not talk maggots. <laughs> uh, or it could be, you know, the 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 questionable curry on on the on the street side. I guess I just feel about it this way. Like again, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? And I think after traveling for a while, one thing you get very comfortable with is diarrhea. And really, that's the worst thing that's going to happen, right? <laughs> True. It's, it's, yeah. it's, 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 it's a real, it's a real, it's a real fact. You know, I think every good travel, every traveler, every true traveler has a couple funny poop stories. That's just exactly how, <laughs> how it is. Maybe, maybe TMI, but that's the reality of it. Because if it wasn't food, if it killed people or made you deathly ill, um, people wouldn't eat it, right? It wouldn't be like right. a common thing. Um, and sometimes you're in situations where, for example, with this, this like Italian thing I talked about, like I watched eight men spend six hours preparing this meal and they were so proud of it and they hand it to you and you have to be like, yes or no. And I don't want to be the guy who says no. And yeah, so actually mm-hmm. I did get sick after that one for a, a few days. <laughs> um, but at the same time, like, I guess, I guess I just see, I'd rather, I'd rather try everything and find new favorites. I mean, that wasn't a new favorite, <laughs> neither, neither right. was the cheese exactly. Um, but find new favorites, like eating street food, trying everything, than than being extra cautious because I know if it wasn't actually food then people wouldn't eat it and maybe my my gastrointestinal system has gotten more bulletproof over the years but I, I really think it does by by doing this by trying everything and yeah. I feel like that kind of encompasses my attitude towards travel in a whole because if you know that you're not going to get seriously hurt or you're not going to die or this really the long-term side effects are only like you know maybe a couple of days of discomfort or something um then mm-hmm. why why would you say no uh i mean yeah you'll be uncomfortable you could be but you're missing out so much saying no a lot like the the, the, right. the pros of saying yes more often than no far away the the you know the sometimes uh for, you know occurrence of some some digestional problems and i think mm-hmm. also being in situations where there was no other option like it's like that or you don't eat you learn right. to say yes to pretty much most food. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Well, and I guess the idea of being uh, uncomfortable, that's how we grow as people. We sometimes do need to feel uncomfortable. In fact, we, we yeah. have to. I mean, if you go through life not ever feeling uncomfortable about anything, are you really, you know, are you growing? Are you changing? I think you'll feel pretty uncomfortable, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, so Steph, we're going we're gonna to get you to Germany. We're going to get you eaten some spider cheese <laughs> at some point you know what if that's my excuse to go back to germany i'll take it <laughs> done <laughs> so i feel like we have to talk about 
COVID even. Yeah. I mean, we've talked, Steph and I have talked about it a lot on the podcast, but it's the reality now. This is, this is the world we're living in. Um, and you know, we are living through a global pandemic right now, more so than ever. I feel like people really are afraid to travel. And granted, we can't really travel right now, but even when, you know, the skies start to open up, people are being very cautious about that. Now, what's been your experience with, you know, with COVID? How have you felt about it? And again, what would you say to people that are, that have this, you know, fear of, getting back out there that are avid travelers? Um, I think actions speak louder than words. So when the EU opened to Canadians as of July 2nd this year, I left um, to go to the EU and I've been right. here ever since. And I've, I've since, since COVID, I've been to eight, uh, seven countries since COVID. Okay. So that that's, I mean, that's, I guess I'm quite lucky to be Canadian, number one. And number two, mm-hmm. I feel like there's a, a hazy line as to what's essential for some people. So for myself, mm-hmm. of course, travel is my life. And I think a lot of us can right. say that. But my my income comes from the YouTube channel, which is travel, uh, a travel mm-hmm. television show I host on BBC. Again, mm-hmm. of course, very much travel. And I was also in a relationship with someone who lived abroad. And so essential non-essential travel started july 2nd again like is love and you know relationships are that essential uh like Mm. you know is is my is me being able to make money for my job essential well like yeah kind of is you know yeah i would say yes yeah and also like what what's like is happiness essential um Mm. yeah but again it's really subjective and then at the end of the day it's like is is sugar essential is is coffee in the morning essential right like Mm. no but yeah it's really nice and it contributes to a lot of other things (laughs) being quite you know enjoyable as well and so i think it essential and non-essential is is really subjective and the and i think there's certain people and i'm sure many people listening who feel like travel is really essential in in their life right definitely beyond just the fact like okay yeah so I like it, but there, it, it, it does so much more. And maybe some people have businesses or that rely on it or relationships that rely on it. And yeah, it, mm. it's a big thing. So for me, I decided to, to, to travel almost, well, as soon as I was allowed to. And I had two options. I, I decided I could do it like quietly, kind of slip under the radar, or I could unapologetically say, I am traveling and here's why. And so I, tro- I chose yeah. the second option knowing that I would have some criticism. So I was one of, if not the first, one of the very first online influencers to travel publicly during the pandemic and, and make content about it because I felt like it was an important discussion uh, for all of the reasons that I said. And again, if a country has decided to allow uh, so non-essential travel, which was essentially tourism mm-hmm. and I'm following all local regulations, I'm wearing the mask when I should, I, you know, I'm then am I doing anything wrong? Exactly. I mean, but the, and then, but then it gets into a question of moral and ethics, right? Well, and that's the thing. I think yeah, you know, we've talked about this uh, in previous episodes, but you know, at a time where nobody knows what the hell is going on, no matter what, in terms of people traveling, you're going to get backlash. Um, yeah. And I agree. When you said you know you just did it unapologetically, owned it, and said, "Look, I'm this is my life, and this is what I'm doing," you're going to get backlash. But I feel like everyone's kind of getting backlash for literally everything because nobody, uh, yeah, it's, it's, we're in it. We're living in a time where no one really, we don't know what's going on. (laughs) And 
at some point we just have to, I guess, get back to, you know, what our normal lives are. And for some people that is traveling. And as you said, for some people, it might be considered essential, um, whether it's for work or for their own mental health. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's just one of those very relevant travel topics right now. Yeah, no, definitely. And uh, I think, we're, like you said, we're living in a culture now where uh, we, we ha- it's a hobby to get offended on behalf of other people. And we we received a lot of that criticism uh, right when COVID started because we were traveling in a remote place. <clears throat> and uh, we were like disconnected and didn't really know what was happening in the world until all of a sudden a, a shitstorm hit us of uh, accusing us of like bringing smallpox to the Indians, uh, essentially, uh, that old story uh, over and over in, on a remote island. And so but I guess there but there is there is a, there's always a substance of, of truth there, like mm. people. I, it's not like completely unfounded for the most part, but people just don't, people just take part of the story and then expand it into the entire story. And so w- when I did choose to travel, um, mm-hmm. there was criticism about me, you know, visiting remote places and bringing the virus in, which is a, a super legitimate concern, honestly. And that's at the end of the day that mm-hmm. again, you, I yeah. can make whatever choices I want with my life. You know, I can go do frog poison. I can go travel, but again, who am I harming? If it's just me, that's on me. You know what I mean? But if I'm harming other people, mm-hmm. again, which is very possible with, with with the virus, then then that is then I have to really watch myself. And that was one of my main concerns: is making sure that I I didn't just you know all of a sudden run off to the Amazon rainforest or something like that. Um, I didn't track my dirty feet everywhere. So we went. I, I came to Europe. I quarantined for two weeks i mean i didn't have to mm-hmm. but why not because i was going to work on a computer anyway and then now we're in a remote part of romania and we did get tested in uh, the city called cluj before coming up here just to make sure i mean no one had any symptoms but just to double check before it came up here and now like everyone up here thinks it's fake <laughs> so and then and like no one no one gives a shit uh, because in some places in the world like they don't have the luxury to care you know what I mean? But like halting everything, like people mm. live on on very little here, and they work basically like paycheck to paycheck. A lot of it's not just paycheck; it's like money handed over for cow's milk. You know what I mean? Or sheep's milk. Like they, no yeah. one can afford to stop and quarantine, uh, so they they don't. And in some places like Africa, like malaria kills way more people. Like there's there's uh, yeah, not that this isn't a big deal because I, I think it kind of is, but. Uh, we have the luxury of being able to quarantine in, in the Western world. A lot of countries don't have that. And I always think about like, what about these places like Peru or like Cambodia or Mexico? I mean, Mexico is still open, but yeah. Bali, for example, another one where there was like hundreds of millions of people relying on tourism. And what are these people doing now? I had a friend, a Cambodian friend who was a private guide who messaged me about a month into the pandemic. So like uh, early April. And he's like, Mike, I don't know what to do. I, I've never planned for, you know, no, no tourists to come right away like this. Now I have to work like construction mm. jobs at night and we're working in terrible conditions and uh, I, my family's starving. I don't know what to do. And he was asking me for money and he was embarrassed. And so I send him a little bit, but like, I can't keep sending him money realistically, you know, and uh, he's one story out of a hundred million people who had a shop or, or had a tour or had a tuk-tuk or, you know, like that now they're just dry. And even like traveling for the sole fact of realizing there's people out here in the world that are, their families are starving because they, they've mm-hmm. lost, like if there was a slow decline, no, then people could get a new job. This went from like a hundred percent to zero in like what, three weeks, two weeks or something like that. How can you plan for that? Yeah. It's, it's, it's horrible. There's people out there who, who can't get by. 
if there was ever a reason then I think for people that were a bit hesitant on traveling to some of these countries once COVID is over, do it for the for the sole reason of just building up some of these economies again. Yeah, and of course, take some precautions and everything. But at the end of the day, like, I, I wasn't sure if people in these places would be like, oh, my God, lepers, you know, like, uh, and treat you like, but no, right. not once again, traveling to all these countries. And uh, but doing so respectfully and wearing the mask and all and, and everyone's happy to see you because like, oh, my God, finally, like, uh, they're just happy to have guests. They're happy to have people in the restaurants, happy to lead, lead people on tours. They all they're all stressed and can yeah. and are just really i mean i can't say everyone of course i'm sure there's people out there who aren't but from my experience everyone's been very happy to have um, right. someone come and be a tourist oh i was just thinking there's some places i can't wait to get back on the road because even you know here in australia last summer we had the wildfires and communities were ravaged and everyone was just planning to you know spend all their tourism dollars to go get them back on their feet and now we're grounded um i think of places like when we went to egypt they were so grateful we were there because there's not many tourists going there since 2013. And now they're, it's like what, what little they did have left is gone. Mm-hmm. So I can't wait to get back out there and to support all these countries who desperately need those mm-hmm. tourist dollars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these places like Kilimanjaro or Machu Picchu or even like Ayers Rock in Australia, like I think a lot of these world attractions, um, or it's called Uluru now, right? They changed the name? Uh, well, it's shut down also. Oh, yeah. But I guess when they do open back up, um, like seeing these things with no tourists is, is going to be amazing. I mean, you can still go to Kilimanjaro now because there's, there's no restrictions on, on Tanzania. But like mm. the, 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 the Great Wall of China, the Angkor Temples, like you're going to have a once in a lifetime opportunity or unless God forbid there's I, another pandemic yeah. to be able to see these things as they, you know, as they should be um, yeah. without being mobbed. It's actually funny you mentioned that I was in, because uh, I live in London, and I was down walking past Buckingham Palace yesterday. Mm. Not that the UK needs needs tourist money, but it was very strange. There's because there's really nobody in London. It's the same. Nobody's coming to the UK. I yeah. mean, yeah, we're <laughs> we're but walking by Buckingham Palace and it was empty, and it was it was the strangest thing. So yeah, some of these other places. I mean, to go to them. And just see them completely bare. Mm-hmm. Definitely interesting. Mm-hmm. So we've mentioned a few of the many videos that you have up on your channel. So where can our listeners find your content? Yeah, well, like I said, I, I, I do a lot of fun stuff on, on the YouTube channel. So if you want to subscribe there, I also have a, an Instagram. Both of those are Fearless and Far. Um, and again, because like I said in the very beginning, I'm a recovering scaredy cat. We didn't talk too much about my story, um, mm-hmm. but I, I had a, po- a, pho- a phobia of public speaking my for most of my life. And then through travel, oh. yeah, through travel, I was able to uh, find my voice, find myself, uh, find all of these things. And that's why I love talking about it so much. Because again, I, like I said, I'm not, I'm not mm-hmm. a fearless guy, but I think the definition of fearless is yeah. not the lack of fear. It's just becoming a friend with it. it, it it's it's being comfortable with yeah. the feeling even squirrel suit skydivers and famous musicians when they get on stage or jump off a radio antenna they uh they feel it but they've just changed their relationship with it and so that's what i like to explain um on my channel and that's why i do some of these things again not because i'm like hey look how badass i am it's more like okay this is scary and, but yeah. I, I've done my research or I've done the training or, you know, I've put the time in to be able to do this in, in a safe way to challenge myself. And hopefully, again, not by burying yourself in sand or 
maybe eating Milburn cases specifically, that just talking <laughs> about that experience uh, and showing people that you can do things like this, they can find their own challenges in their life to therefore push themselves a, a little bit beyond their comfort zone, you know? And so I, I, yeah, so that's what I'm really, really passionate about. And on my website, which, which is fearlessandfar.com, you can go to slash fear. So fearlessandfar.com slash fear. I have this free, um, this video where you can just put your email in. And from there, I talk about the six things I changed in my life um, to start fighting fear. And it's very simple. And all I need is your email. And that's, I really go into deep how my life changed. And I think fear is something that we're never taught how to deal with. And for me, I had to bumble around, bump my head on a bunch of different things and finally kind of find it. Mm. And uh, yeah, if I'm an expert in anything, I, I feel like it's, it's feeling fear <laughs> and still uh, teaching myself to do it anyway. And overcoming it. And sometimes, you know, people just need to see someone else putting themselves out yeah. there to get that confidence. So yeah, definitely. I mean, I've watched tons of your videos. They're great. Absolutely love them. I'm going to watch so many more. And yeah, everyone listening, definitely check out the channel on the show notes. And if you're scared, if you're feeling, you know, not sure about going somewhere, trying something new, just watch one of Mike's videos. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have anything, my last question, anything, what's your next big, exciting either trip or experience you're going to do? Do you have anything planned? Yeah, so plans all changed, of course, I think for all of us. Uh, but now I'm, I'm in yep. northern Romania in a, a province called Maramures, which is just like the medieval ages. So I'm sitting in this uh, old cabin surrounded by, like, oh my God, like old lanterns and pieces of wood from like a thousand years mm -hmm. ago, I swear. And now we're excited to find some of the... The magic of this area, they, they have all kinds of interesting beliefs and folk medicines and, and stuff. So it's going to be a little, a little jaunt down, um, you know, the, the traditional part of Romania in, in, in the deep north. So I'm excited to, to share. Oh, very cool. Amazing. Well, we can't wait to hear about it and follow your adventure on, uh, on YouTube. But yeah, well, thank you so much for coming on with us. This has been a great chat. I know a lot of our listeners in a time we can't really travel, just talking about some of these things and having a bit of escapism has been nice during COVID. So yeah, thanks a lot. Oh, it, was, it was a lot of fun, guys. Thanks so much. All the Shit I've Learned Abroad is a travel podcast focused on anything and everything related to travel. You can listen to us on multiple platforms from iTunes to Google Play Music and more. And with that, please, if you have a chance, give us a five-star review on iTunes or whatever platform you listen on. That drives us up the charts and really, really helps us out. Want to support us on Patreon? Find us over at Shit I've Learned Abroad Pod. And donations start as low as just $1. Also, if you could follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Shit Abroad Pod and Facebook by searching all the shit I've learned abroad. Thanks so much for listening. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.